Welcome to ACE Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in as we elevate clinical endocrinology by taking deep dives into trends and topics that can help us improve our patient care and global health. Find the latest episodes on aace.com slash podcasts. And now let's meet the endocrine experts who will be talking with us today. I'd like to thank the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists for allowing us to talk about a very important topic, which is postmenopausal osteoporosis in women with breast cancer. My name is Dr. Ann Kearns, and I'm an adult endocrinologist at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, where I specialize in bone and calcium disorders, including osteoporosis. I'm pleased to include in my conversation today my colleague, Dr. Domingo Perez, who's a trained oncologist now doing an advanced breast cancer fellowship here. And we're going to have a discussion about these issues from both the endocrine and the oncology perspective. So welcome, Dr. Perez. Thank you. I just wanted to begin by introducing to everyone the concept that they probably should already be familiar with, which is that both bone and breast are estrogen-sensitive tissues, and the cross- talk between these two fields, oncology and endocrinology, is really around that issue. Most endocrinologists or all should be very familiar that estrogen is critical for bone health, both in men and women, but especially women. And when the menopause happens and estrogen levels fall, naturally bone density is affected. What may not be as evident is that even after the menopause, the residual estrogen levels are important for skeletal health, and they may have implications for breast health, but certainly for breast cancer and some of the endocrine therapies for breast cancer. So Dr. Perez, I'd like to first ask you questions about how endocrine therapy plays a role in postmenopausal breast cancer. How are tumor types important or patient-specific factors, and what are the options for patients in that regard? Right. That's a great question. So about 70% of breast cancers in the U.S. are what we call hormonally sensitive. They have receptors for estrogen and or progesterone. About 15% are triple negative, and about 15% are her to positive. Her to positive can be hormonally sensitive or hormonally insensitive. All patients, or just about every single patient with hormonally sensitive breast cancer, will be treated with what we call endocrine therapy with anti-estrogens. We use tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors. Tamoxifen block the estrogen receptor, and the aromatase inhibitors prevent the production of estrogen by blocking the enzyme aromatase. Most postmenopausal patients with breast cancer will receive an aromatase, an aromatase inhibitor if at all possible because it is a little bit more effective. Let me give you an example. If you treat somebody with tamoxifen, you will decrease the risk of breast cancer death by 30-31%. If instead of doing that, you treat the patient with an aromatase inhibitor you will improve the outcome by about 10%. So whenever possible, we'll treat the patient with the aromatase inhibitor unless the patient has a contraindication. And by the way, you know, many of my colleagues in the community think that osteoporosis 
is a contraindication to the use of aromatase inhibitors. You may want to comment. Yeah, I think this is a very good point to make because I think this is again where endocrinology and oncology probably need a good discussion. And I know I am often referred patients to assess their bone health because they have been frightened by a local provider, either an oncologist or their general doctor saying, They're not eligible for this medication because their bones are, quote unquote, too bad. So we know that those medications, especially the aromatase inhibitors, do affect the bones and do lower bone density when they're initiated. Tamoxifen is at least neutral from the bone perspective. It may have slight benefits, but it's not as detrimental. So we do get patients that are quite concerned about that. And the studies do show that there is fairly consistent bone loss with initiation of aromatase inhibitors. In my practice, I don't make a big difference amongst the different aromatase inhibitors in my review of the bone density data. But Dr. Perez, I want to know from your perspective, is there a big choice amongst those for breast cancer? Or if you look at the breast cancer and the bone issues, Is there a big decision factor amongst the three aromatase inhibitors? No. So, you know, we use, there are three aromatase inhibitors, anastrozole, letrozole, and exemestine. Anastrozole and letrozole are non-steroidal aromatase inhibitors. Exemestine is a, a steroidal one. They're equally effective in terms of preventing recurrences and decreasing breast cancer-related death. And in terms of bone loss, it looks like exemestane might be a little bit gentler on the bones. Mm. But the Mm -hmm. truth is, you know, in everyday practice, we don't have a preference for one or the other. They're all equally effective. Good to know. When I see a patient with that concern, I largely reassure them that their bone density concerns can be very well managed with existing osteoporosis medications. And I can say that the anti-resorptives, which are broadly the bisphosphonates or denosumab, have pretty universally been able to show that they protect the bones from the negative effects of lowering the estrogen. And some of them have been shown to reduce the risk of fractures, both in women with osteoporosis by T-score and and patients with a less severe bone loss. I know that sometimes patients receive anti-resorptive medication for breast cancer purposes. And I often reassure patients in that scenario that the treatment that they're receiving for breast cancer with most commonly a bisphosphonate will also protect their bones. Can you tell me, Dr. Perez, about how patient selection for the adjuvant effects of anti-resorptive medications? And I've already said that from the bone density point of view, they're all efficacious, meaning oral bisphosphonates, intravenous bisphosphonates, denosumab, Any agent I want to use solely for bone density, I feel comfortable and confident will be effective in mitigating the effects of the aromatase inhibitor therapy. From your point of view, how do you view the adjuvant treatment with antiresorptives in terms of patient selection and agents? 
Right. So from a uh, breast cancer perspective, we use bisphosphonates, not denosumab, to treat postmenopausal or premenopausal patients being treated with ovarian function suppression who are thought to be a significant risk for breast cancer recurrence or death. Now, the definition of significant risk is somewhat slippery, but we would think of using a bisphosphonate for adjuvant purposes, that is, in order to decrease the risk of recurrence in patients with stage two and three breast cancer, patients who have received neoadjuvant or adjuvant chemotherapy, as well as in patients who are thought to have a 10-year risk of breast cancer death of 12% or higher. As I said, we use bisphosphonates and not denosumab. So let me say a couple of things about what we know about the mechanism of action. It is not totally clear, but Bisphosphonates are thought to decrease the risk of bone metastasis by modifying the menopausal, not the premenopausal bone microenvironment. Compared with denosumab, which is not incorporated into the bone matrix, but targets the rank ligand, bisphosphonates are incorporated into the bone matrix and hit multiple targets. For instance, bisphosphonates are thought to decrease cell viability, adhesion, invasion, migration, matrix, metalloprotein activity, and angiogenesis, and increased apoptosis in gamma-delta T cells. In contrast, the nosumab appears to be much more restrictive. It appears to decrease only invasion and migration. So the first thing I have to say is that we were thinking of doing something from this perspective in order to decrease the risk of bone metastasis and the risk of breast cancer-related death. What we use is bisphosphonate, not the nosumab. Okay, so if as an endocrinologist, I'm helping a patient choose between agents, it would be uh, important to realize that there's additional benefits to a bisphosphonate over denosumab potentially for her cancer. Definitely. And how long do you generally treat with the bisphosphonates in the setting of purely for the breast cancer? Right. So we treat patients for three to five years, but I think that most people use these agents for three years. And you can use Zometa every six months at a dose of four milligrams for three years. You could also use Clodronate, but it's not available in the U.S., or you could use Ibandronate at a dose of 50 milligrams daily. But as you know, in the U.S., only the 2.5 milligram daily or 150 milligram monthly doses are available. What most of us do is Zometa every six months for three years. Some trials, for instance, you know, a trial called Success A have looked at zoledronic acid for two years versus five years, and they couldn't find any difference. Of course, if you're treating somebody with Zometa, not only to prevent a recurrence, but also to protect the bones. Let's say that patient has severe osteopenia or osteoporosis. It is perfectly okay to keep on going for five years. So you have to use your judgment. Yeah, and I think for most of us in the osteoporosis field, Zometa every six months for five years would be a lot of treatment. So generally, what I tell patients who are receiving the Zometa, and I, because we are colleagues and we share patients, I know your practice in, at Mayo is generally three years of Zometa every six months. Right. I reassure the patients that that adequately treats their bone issue and that will 
meet again at the end of the three years, and I will help make the decision about their bone health only. Do they need more treatment or not? Generally, I would say that if they have done well, meaning no fractures in the recent time, bone density stable to improve, that I would be looking at a time off bisphosphonate to lessen the risk of the rare complications and then have them follow up with me just for the bone issues in a year or two. I think it's a little bit trickier when denosumab has been initiated by another provider to protect the bones from aromatase inhibitor therapy. What I generally tell the patient in that setting is when the aromatase inhibitor therapy is decided to be discontinued, and I'll have you tell me about how that decision is made in a moment, but then I think it's time for the patient and I to have a conversation about the bone health issues that come with discontinuation of denosumab, which we know mm-hmm. there can be rapid bone loss in, due to increasing bone turnover, which I don't know is detrimental to breast cancer risk, but certainly is detrimental to bone health and increases the fracture risk. Uh, so that's usually how I approach patients who've already been initiated on denosumab, Uh, by another provider and are undergoing Mm -hmm. aromatase inhibitor therapy. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how long patients are typically treated with aromatase inhibitor therapy. Right. So we treat patients with endocrine therapy, either tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor for at least five years. But, you know, the problem with breast cancer is that you can see relapses 10 years 15 years, or even 20 years after diagnosis. Actually, half of the relapses happen within the first five years, but the other half happens between years six and 20. So when we think a patient has a significant risk of late relapse, we try to keep that patient on endocrine therapy. And there are different things you can do. You can treat somebody with tamoxifen for 10 years, you can treat somebody with tamoxifen for five years, and then treat the patient with the aromatase inhibitor for an additional five years. You can also treat the patient with the aromatase inhibitor for 10 years. It is clear that when you treat somebody with tamoxifen for five years, and then with an aromatase inhibitor for five years, if that patient truly has a high risk of recurrence, you make a big difference. It is less clear that treating somebody with an aromatase inhibitor for seven and a half or 10 years is better than treating that patient for only five years. But again, mm-hmm. what we do is, you know, we, we try to make an educated guess as to what the uh, risk of late relapse is. And if it's significantly high, then we treat for a longer time. And of course, the longer you treat somebody with an aromatase inhibitor, the higher the risk of bone complications. Yes, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that. We know from the studies that the bone loss, as with many times when hormone levels are altered, is most rapid in the beginning, in the first year or two of therapy. And we know from when patients stop aromatase inhibitor therapy, there isn't ongoing bone loss related to it. There can be some improvement in bone density, not dramatic, but there is at least not an ongoing downward slope that's more rapid than expected with just aging. So that's often when I talk to patients about 
again, a decision point between their cancer treatment and their bone health comes when the aromatase inhibitors are going to be discontinued. Say they've been on alendronate for five years. It may be reasonable that they could stop both of those and reassess, but it's reassuring the patient from my point of view that stopping the aromatase inhibitor will not have ongoing negative effects on the bones, that it's really related to while they're on the medication. And so I think from my endocrinology point of view, there are a couple key points where endocrinology and oncology intersect for the breast cancer patient. One is when there's a diagnosis of a hormonally sensitive tumor that's going to be treated with endocrine therapy. And then I often ask the patient, if their oncologist is planning adjuvant bisphosphonate therapy, because I feel that that almost always adequately treats the underlying bone density issue. And then I can talk about lifestyle, calcium, vitamin D as always, but I don't need to add any additional medication. If their oncology provider is not planning adjuvant bisphosphonate therapy, I feel very comfortable initiating whatever bisphosphonate the patient and I feel most comfortable with. Again, staying away from denosumab for the reasons that it may not add benefit to breast cancer's endpoints, and only use that if I think they need it from the bone point of view as a separate plan. But then again, another transition point is when the bisphosphonates are stopped from the oncology point of view, because then I will weigh in on the decision about more bisphosphonate or not. And I use standard osteoporosis criteria about what I think their fracture risk is, how much therapy they've gotten, and follow up, usually off medication if I don't think they're at very high risk. For the third touch point is if they're on medication, such as an oral bisphosphonate, and they're stopping the aromatase inhibitor after five years, then I again touch base with them, thinking again solely about the bone health and whether it's time to also take a time off of the bisphosphonate medication. So from my point of view, those are really the three touch points where a decision or engagement with the endocrinologist might add additional benefit to the patient. Tamoxifen is kind of a different drug from the bone point of view. And usually there's not as many negative effects, but I do think there is some role for monitoring because not everyone experiences benefits, clear benefits from it. It Mm -hmm. doesn't have as many negative effects, but the benefits on bone are significantly different from the aromatase inhibitors. So I wanted to kind of conclude by maybe having you tell me about the practice in terms of assessing the bone density and making a decision about when to refer to endocrinology or how to partner together for patients in this. So when we consider treating postmenopausal patients with one of these agents, we always get a bone density to establish a baseline, right? If the T-score is less than minus two, then we will think of using one of these agents, either Zobera or Denosumab. If the T-score is more than minus two, but the patient has other risk factors for accelerated bone loss or bone fractures, we will also consider these agents. We would normally refer somebody to you, to the endocrinologist, 
when the patient has, for instance, osteoporosis, I think that would be the main reason for me to refer somebody to endocrinology. Why is that? Well, let's say, you know, I want to treat somebody with an aromatase inhibitor, no with tamoxifen, but the patient has osteoporosis. I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing for the patient. Treating somebody with an aromatase inhibitor is not mandatory. If the patient has a low risk of recurrence and let's say severe osteopenia, I can perfectly treat the patient with tamoxifen. Tamoxifen, if anything, is not going to harm the patient's bones. And because the risk of recurrence is low, whether I treat the patient with tamoxifen or the aromatase inhibitor, it's not going to make a difference. But if I see somebody with, for instance, lobular, invasive lobular breast cancer, which responds much better to aromatase inhibitors, or somebody with a very, very high risk of relapse, somebody with stage three, I may want to treat the patient with the aromatase inhibitor. Mm-hmm. selectively. And then is when I refer the, the patient to you to, to ask for your help. Yeah. So from the endocrinology point of view, I just want to make it clear that we're talking about anti-resorptive agents and that we would not, as endocrinologists, be think of anabolic bone agents, which would right. increase increase bone turnover and may build bone, but would make an, a microenvironment or a situation that would be too hospitable, shall we say, for breast cancer, metastases, or outcomes like that. So we're really narrowing it down to which anti-resorptive agent. If they have very severe osteoporosis, it may be appropriate to use uh, longer term bisphosphonate than the three years that is used for adjuvant therapy. It may be appropriate to move from that adjuvant therapy to prolia if I felt their risk was still high and I didn't want to stop all therapy. So I think it's, again, those critical points where you're making decisions about endocrine therapy for breast cancer, how the bone factors in, when there's adjuvant therapy for breast cancer with bisphosphonates and they're being discontinued or when the aromatase inhibitors are being discontinued. Those are the critical times. When tamoxifen therapy is discontinued, I guess I would also be viewed as that's another time where a bone density and a discussion about the risk of broken bones may be part of a referral to endocrinology if they were not receiving bisphosphonates for adjuvant therapy. Right. If I may, you know, I like to make uh, clear that when we use bisphosphonates as adjuvant therapy, the receptor status of the breast cancer doesn't matter. That's very mm-hmm. important to understand, okay? As, uh, in the very beginning, I said most patients with breast cancer will be hormonally sensitive, right? 70% of patients. But again, if somebody with triple negative breast cancer or her to positive breast cancer has a significant risk of recurrence, it would be perfectly okay to use a bisphosphonate to decrease the risk of recurrence in the bone in the risk of uh, breast cancer-related mm. death, okay? Because the uh, largest meta-analysis we have, which was published in 2015, included 20,000 patients from 36 randomized clinical trials. There were patients with hormonally sensitive breast cancer, HER2 positive, triple negative, and there was no difference whether the patient was hormonally sensitive or insensitive, whether the tumor was high grade or low grade, that didn't matter. So that's that's very important to understand. That is not something restricted to hormonally sensitive patients treated with an aromatase inhibitor. It's wider than that. 
That's a very good point to make. Thank you very much. So at any point, whether they're on endocrine therapy for their breast cancer or not, if they're receiving bisphosphonates for adjuvant therapy for breast cancer purposes, when that's thought to be discontinued by oncology is when a discussion with endocrinology about more therapy or not from the bone point of view would be appropriate. Right. Great. Well, thank you so much. This is a very interesting conversation about the mechanisms and the role of estrogen and bisphosphonate therapy, both for bone health preservation, as well as for breast cancer treatment in an adjuvant therapy. Thank you very much, Dr. Perez. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another great ACE podcast. Join us for another episode at aace.com slash podcasts and help us in our mission to elevate clinical endocrinology. Together, we are ACE.